0: Ah, yes, the summer of 63. It seems so long ago when I say it out loud. But the memories of that summer on South Pender are still so vibrant that it might have been just a summer ago. There are a lot of things I have forgotten over the years, but those days of innocence and discovery on that unspoiled isle, not yet overrun by the trappings of subdivisions and tourism, was a gift... That the advancing years will hopefully never take from me. I turned 12 that summer, and as usual we left our home in Chimanus to spend the best part of the summer on my father's ancestral home. It was about a two-hour drive over the Malahat and down the winding West Saanich Road to Swartz Bay, this being before the Pat Bay Highway. From there we would board the old Cypec Ferry, to Port Washington, for what always seemed like a journey back in time. Things weren't fancy in shamanous, but we at least had electricity and a toilet. Since our last visit, a few homes on South Pender now had electricity and flush toilets, but the ramshackle cabin that we stayed in meant kerosene lamps and an outhouse for the next few weeks. And worst of all, no Dizzy Dean and Pee wee Reese doing the baseball game of the week. However, as we traveled those dusty, winding roads, my thoughts were not of baseball, which was normally the central focus of my twelve year old mind. No, it was now wondering if any of my friends from previous summers would be here to share new adventures. After what seemed like an eternity, we finally made it to the literally end of the road at Gallon Point. In those days the road did not go right to the beach as it does now, an attempt, I think, to keep tourists off our beach. Anyway, the road zigged up to the left on what is now Jennings Road, and up to my great aunt B.'s, and over the hill to Cousin Hope and Jeff Jennings. They had a farm there, and their huge home overlooked Cancod Bay. Throughout my childhood and well into my manhood, this house never seemed to ever really get finished. But it was always a great place to clamber about in and play hide-and-seek, if you weren't too big. But I digress. We had arrived, and we began unloading and setting up in what I called the White House. No, not not because it looked like that place in Washington, D.C., it was more obvious. It was white. And it was a deserted, old place for most of the year, and really didn't have many more summers left in it. But it had a wood stove, and hardly leaked, quite good enough for the old Art Pender clan. It is long gone now, but sat just about where Jim McDonald's garage is now, Jim being the current landowner. The Coleman stove, which Mum did most of the cooking on, was quickly set up, and she started on our supper, while we children set off to make our arrival known to all and sundry. My older brother, Bob, grabbed his fishing rod and headed out to the point to catch us some cod, which is basically what he did just about all the time he was there. He was fifteen now, and discovering other things in life that were more important than Pender Island. This would be his last summer on Pender with the family. He would be sixteen next year, and the lure of hot cars and girls, or is it the other way around, would win again. For my younger sister Barb and I, it was off to see Aunt B and find out who else was around, and perhaps get a glass of lime cordial and a cookie. Even now, just the mention of Rose's lime cordial with a liberal amount of sugar always transports me back to those halcyon days at my great Aunt B.'s, and oh, yes, playing a rollicking good game of Chinese checkers, which incidentally I don't think I've played in over fifty years. You know, I must get out and pick up some Rose's lime real soon. B. Freeman, Her current name—she was a Spalding, Irving, and McGusty as well—was one of a kind, one of those people in our lives who make an indelible impression upon you. At just over five feet she was not an imposing figure, and as she aged she somehow seemed to be noticeably shrinking to well under five feet. No matter the height, she stood out as someone you should never take lightly or ever cross, in her jaunty hat tilted to one side, a self-rolled cigarette hanging precariously from her lip that somehow managed to stay in place no matter how much she talked. You knew you were in the presence of a free spirit, and the likes of which I'm afraid we will never see again. She was intelligent, loving, compassionate, strong-willed, somewhat irascible, and very loyal to family and friends. She was also a painter, a writer, and the greatest collector of agates in the the whole world, and also a true advocate for First Nations people. In looking back, I am so glad that I had the chance as a child to spend so much quality time in her presence and influence. And I truly believe that a good part of me is of whom she was. I am also saddened and somewhat ashamed by the fact that as a young adult I somehow let her disappear from my world of influence to pursue the selfish desires that young men do. By the time I realized how much she meant to me, she was gone, and I really never had the chance to say thank you. However, we are now in 1963, and life is good. The next few weeks will fly by with exploring, raft building, swimming at Camp Bay, and up at Jeff's Pond, down from Greenburn Lake. Jeff happened to own Greenburn Lake at that time, and as some of you know, it is now another provincial park. The only time we swam at Gowland was when we fell off the raft. It was too darn cold. There were also trips to Blunden Island and Taylor Bay on Saturna. All accomplished in Granddad's old rowboat. I had become the chief oarsman by now, and Dad quite enjoyed sitting in the stern, watching me do all the work. There was lots of fishing. Fish were plentiful back then. But when, what I remember most about fishing was watching my brother and learning all those new curse words whenever he lost another lure. The highlight of the summer, though, was the annual roundup of all of Jeff's sheep, which had wandered all over the island. There's no fences back then. The plan by Jeff was to just get every kid on the island, traipsing over hill and dale and cliff edge, herding the little bleaters home again for their annual shearing. Ages ran from five or six to almost twenty, with the older cousins leading the way. And as far as I know, no one ever got hurt or lost, which in itself would seem like a miracle. I suppose it was a lot of work, but it was a wonderful memory of a bygone day that, young people of today can only imagine. Well, time was now coming to a close for the Pender family on Pender this year, but for me, it would not be ending. I would be staying on with Aunt B for an extra week. Yes, I was becoming quite the independent young man. So I picked up my few meager belongings, moved them over to B, said goodbye to the family, and started what would be one of the best weeks of my young life. The very next day, the Martin family showed up at Bee's for a visit. The Martins were longtime friends of Bee, who had journeyed from that mystical land across the water to pay their respects. Okay, when I say mystical, I meant that huge log house across from Bedwell Harbor Resort on Wallace Point. At that time, it was the only place over there, and to me was always a mystery. Why the heck did they have Glen Warple written on those rocks? And and who who were these people? As it turns out, they were a family of four, three kids and a mum. I had never experienced a family without a dad, and where and whom the dad was never did become apparent. But most importantly, the middle child, Donnie, was my age. We hit it off right away. And before you could say Jack Robinson, or wondered why you would want to say it, I was being invited to come and stay with them at Glen Warple for a few days. So it was basically hello and goodbye to B, and also goodbye to her husband John and dog Rufus. Sorry, I, I guess I didn't mention them. But now it was hello to my new adventures with the Martin family. From the get-go, things looked very good. As we scooted over the bay in a twelve-foot dinghy with a five-horse outboard, here's the important part, Donnie was the captain. Hmm, this has possibilities. Glenwarple was quite the place in its heyday, especially compared... Uh, to what our accommodations were like down at Gowland. They still didn't have any power, but there was a big kitchen, a huge living room with comfy chairs, several bedrooms, and, oh my God, a bathroom. It wasn't a big bathroom, and hardly anybody used it. I mean, the outhouse was still getting most of the business. But there it was. The exterior had a two-sided patio with great views across Bedwell Harbor, and it had lounge chairs with a couple of camp beds set up, and this would be where Donnie and I would sleep. Camping in luxury, you might say. After dinner, we played some games in the family room, and Mrs. Martin, Mona, asked if I wanted pancakes for breakfast. Oh Yes, indeed. I can eat a ton of pancakes. Donnie said, well, he could eat two tons. And just like that, the pancake-eating contest was born. Well, morning comes early on the Gulf Islands, and Mona was already starting on the flapjacks as we climbed from our beds. Well, they just kept coming, all covered in butter and maple syrup. And as Donnie's two sisters cheered us on, We soon passed a dozen each, and unfortunately we were beginning to slow down. But we hit thirteen, fourteen, and then fifteen. Why, even the local deer were gathering round to see what all the noise was about. A now-concerned Mona said, Don't hurt yourselves, boys. Just call it a tie. Donnie looked at me, belched, and said, I'm done. I looked at him with a wry smile, grabbed number sixteen, and methodically munched it down. So, w- what are we having for lunch? Yeah, I had one, but at a cost. Both of us could hardly move until mid-afternoon. Needless to say, we skipped lunch. and Even dinner didn't hold its usual charm. The next morning we were once again right as rain, and out in the boat early, scooting around the harbor, with Donnie actually letting me run the motor. This was a first for me, and I was thrilled with this new experience. We stopped here and there, and one of our first stops was at Beaumont, across from Bedwell Harbor Resort. They still had an old building there from the Beaumont Place, and so we poked around in there and see if we could find anything valuable, but not much luck. And then we headed over to Peter's Cove on Wallace Point to see if we could find a spot where my dad and his cousin, Kelly, had uncovered a huge cache of bootleg whiskey way back in the Roaring Twenties, when incidentally they were the same age as us. Well. We didn't find any likely hiding spots. But we did feel like a couple of young Jim Hawkins, looking for buried treasure on Treasure Island, the only inhabitants of this seemingly untouched tropic isle. Would Ben Gunn appear from behind one of those mossy bluffs? And where was Long John Silver? Ah, the imagination of a couple of twelve-year-old adventurers knows no bounds. I'm sure the computer screens of today are no match for a 1963 circa 12-year-old pirate. And as we explored this beautiful section of virgin lands and shell beaches, little did I foresee that 45 years in the future my wife and I would purchase a home just up the road from this very spot. The one thing we did discover that was useful, was the abundance of Dungeness crab all along the shore of the cove. And using just an oar, we scooped up a few of the plumpest ones and took them home for dinner, the mighty hunters bringing home the bounty of the sea for the poor women-folk to cook up for us. And we also brought back an idea of how we were going to make some cash money. THE NEXT DAY WE RETURNED TO PETER'S COVE AND STARTED DOING SOME SERIOUS GATHERING OF CRABS. AND WITH A FULL SACK OF LARGE, STRUGGLING crustaceans, WE HEADED OVER TO BEDWILL HARBOR. THERE WE STARTED KNOCKING ON BOATS. AT TWENTY-FIVE CENTS APIECE WE SOLD OUT IN NO TIME. AND WITH LOTS OF MONEY, FOR FUEL AND FOR TREATS FROM LETTNER'S STORE, WE ALSO KNEW what we were doing tomorrow. Well, I spent that whole week, not just a couple of days, at Glen Warple, and I left with more money in my pocket than any time in my short life, which I subsequently spent on baseball cards, comic books, ice cream, etc. So, you see, at least it was well spent. I wish I could say... That this was the beginning of a beautiful friendship for John and Donnie, but the truth is that it would be another seven years before I saw him again, and it's been nearly 25 years since I saw him last. But for one glorious week in 1963, we were the best of friends, and at least for me, created some memories that have lasted a lifetime. You know, Life has a funny, sometimes even cruel way of spinning out the years, and you never know when you will make those special memories. And even when you are making them, they don't always seem memorable until many years later. What I'm trying to say is don't let the years slip by without making a few good memories of your own to warm you on a cold winter's day when you suddenly realize that there is a lot more of your past than there is of your future. Aunt B dropped me at the ferry at Port Wash, and Dad picked me up at Swartz Bay. And when he picked me up, he looked at me and said, Well, how was your week with Aunt B? I I looked at him and said, Well, Dad... Let me tell you about that.